Hello and welcome to the Book of John, the podcast series. I'm Brianna Segrist, and we are traveling on through the Gospel of John so that we can see for ourselves who this Jesus really is. Today we are picking up at the crucifixion. Today we are reading about the agony, the bloody passion of our Lord. I don't go into this lightheartedly. It is no easy task to talk about suffering. It is no easy task to really fully understand the weight of what he went through. In a few short chapters, John describes the horror of a man's death. And not just any death, but a bloody, brutal, shameful death. And yet we read over these in English words, not really having context for the hours that Jesus went through for us. I've been thinking a lot about suffering and agony and punishment lately. Thinking about the Lord bearing our sins and the Lord bearing our suffering. Thinking about the violence of this world and what it means to be a Christian. What, what, these, what these words in the Gospels mean for our lives and our experiences and our agonies and our sufferings. As you listen today, I wonder what suffering you are acquainted with. I wonder what grief you have to deal with. (laughs) If you've ever seen the old movie from the 90s, or maybe the 80s, The Princess Bride, there's a place where the, the, the princess is saying is talking to um, the man that she loves, but he's in disguise. And he's taunting her, and she says, You mock my pain. And he responds to her, Life is pain, Highness. And anyone who tells you differently is selling you something. I think of that quote fairly often. Life is pain. But is life pain? I heard someone say one time that the point of life was to be happy that you're going to heaven that life is supposed to be terrible because well it's a good thing we have heaven ahead of us let's read the scriptures today and find out what they say about that attitude and about our sufferings and our agonies let's read the scriptures today And ask the Holy Spirit to open our hearts and our minds and our eyes and our ears and our understanding to really see and have even a glimpse of understanding about this beautiful gift that the Lord gave to us. I'm in John chapter 19, beginning in verse 16. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side 
and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, They divided my garments among them, and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of the preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore and came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells you the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken, and as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Who is this Jesus that we have followed through the book of John? Who is he? John, the author, gives kind of his own, um, he puts his own seal on this here. He says, the man who saw it had given, has given testimony, and his testimony is true. Remember I told you John doesn't refer to himself by, by name. He also talks about himself in this passage, saying he was at the foot of the cross. Back in verse 26, when he says, The disciple whom he loved was standing nearby, and Jesus gave Mary to him to care for and into his home. 
John is giving witness. He's bearing testimony. So far in the book of John, John has told everything his own account of who Jesus is. He started at the beginning. He started at this very beginning of this book saying, there came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He started out by telling the story way back at the beginning. And why is he telling this story? He's telling this story as a testimony, as a witness, saying, I stood there at the foot of the cross. I saw this happen. And now I'm telling you so that you also may believe. John is not He's trying to say, I'm not telling you this because I'm trying to trick you. I'm laying the facts out the way I saw them. I'm telling you, I've seen all of these things of Christ and I believe. And now I'm telling you these things so that you can also believe. You guys, we haven't seen these things. We weren't there. We didn't live in that time period. We didn't live in Galilee. We didn't see the lame walk and we didn't hear the discourse of the Pharisees. We didn't stand at the foot of the cross and see this happen. But what we have is the testimony of John that this is what happened. Jesus came. He was born of a virgin. He grew up. He lived in the town of Nazareth and on a certain day when he was Around 30, he began traveling around and preaching, the kingdom of heaven is near. He performed signs and miracles, and then he began to give testimony about himself, saying, I have come from the Father. I am the one that was promised. If you believe on me, he said all of these different things, and then he was arrested And he died on a cross. This is what the book of John says about Jesus. This is who Jesus is. Jesus came and lived a mortal life for a short period of time. 33 years here on earth. A very short time. And the rest of us who live in the rest of time hear the testimony Hear the testimony about this one man who lived. And we, are, we have to decide what to do with this testimony. The testimony is told so that we might believe. And why is it so important that we believe? Well, because the Bible says if we believe that this is true, we are saved. This is the work of God, to believe in him that who he sent. God sent Jesus from heaven to do this work, to come to, hev- to come to earth and live in time for 33 years so that he might die and shed his blood, his innocent blood, and pay the price for our sins. This is who Jesus is. He came in compassion He came in humility. He came to serve. He was God incarnate. And he served and loved and gave himself up all the way to death. 
he didn't seek his own amusement or pleasure or comfort. He did everything the Lord commanded him out of love for the Father and love for us. This is who Jesus was. And we haven't gotten to this part yet. But after he dies, he rises again. And right now, he is still alive. He is alive. He is the first fruit, which means he's the first one to rise again and live forever. And so we will be the rest of the fruit afterwards. We also will do what he did. This is, this is the gospel. This is what they say the good news is. So what does that mean for us? It means that we have hope. When we are, when we're feeling bowed down by guilt and shame, we have an answer for that. That the Lord himself took our sins and bore them on the cross for us. It means we don't have to be afraid of death. It means that when we stand in front of the righteous judge of the earth and our lives are weighed, they won't be found wanting because Jesus earned the inheritance of the righteous for us. It means that whether we, <laughs> it means that no matter what our lives look like, if we are under the blood, we earn the inheritance of, of Jesus, the sinless one who came and died sinless. So it gives us comfort and answers for our grief. It gives us hope after our death. And what does it mean now in our suffering and our pain? What does it mean when we face our lives day by day by day? Who is this Christ who died for us? How does he, how does he factor into our lives here in this earth in the day to day? I know this. I know that I want to know him. I know that my heart is to seek his face. I want to be like Moses, seeing him face to face. I want to be like Samuel, laying down in the temple where the ark is until he hears the Lord's voice calling him. I want to be like Joshua, who followed Moses into the tent of meeting and would not leave but stayed there. I want to be, I want to be like David who didn't rest until he he wanted to be in the courts of God. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. My heart's cry is to know the Lord. It's what I want more than anything else. I thought to myself recently, and even in my prayers thought, if I could be sure of the Lord's presence... If the Lord was really with me all the time, I would not be afraid to go anywhere. I think this is the greatest fear, though, that we're going to go into trouble, if we're going to go into suffering, 
and we will be alone. That there is no one seeing us. That there is no one caring. There is no one ultimately in charge. That we are just suffering and unseen and unheeded. This is the big fear. It's one thing to say, I have a God and he wants me to go through this painful thing. And it's another thing to say, I'm going through this painful thing and there is no God who hears me. There is no God who notices. I am just suffering for no reason. It is futile. And I think that that is that is really the big the big lesson we learn in life, isn't it? How to be sure that the Lord is there, that the Lord is with us, that the Lord is good and on our side, even when the circumstances around us don't seem to appear like that. This is what faith is, isn't it? To believe that, to be sure of it, that the Lord is on my side. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all of the days of my life, and I will dwell in his house forever. To be sure of that, to be able to say with certainty, the Lord is my shepherd, I have no fear. This is what faith is. To believe. To believe on who Jesus is. And then to walk through our lives, choosing to be confident of it, even when circumstances try to prove to us otherwise. This is the test of our faith. This is the walk of the Christian. To encourage ourselves in dry times by reminding ourselves of the truth and choosing to believe there is a God on my side. He is good. He will come through. This is the test of faith. I think fairly often of the Israelites. The Israelites left Egypt, were led out, they crossed the Red Sea, which was miraculously parted, and they walked on dry land. And then they wandered through the wilderness a little while, and God was leading them all the time with a pillar of fire and a cloud of smoke. And they went up to the edge of the promised land where God was leading them. And when they got there and saw the giants, they were afraid. And they turned around. And the Lord said to them, You're not coming in. Because they did not trust God, because they grumbled against him and accused him of bringing him out there to die, he did not allow them to inherit the promised land. He sent them back to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And after 40 years, he allowed the children of those who exited uh, Egypt to finally enter the promised land. I think of that fairly often when I myself am waiting for the promises of God. When I don't see the Lord working, when I don't feel like he's 
really there when I feel hopeless or when I'm waiting for a promise that hasn't come or when I'm faced with suffering and grief that seems unreasonable like not a blessing like evidence God is not good I find myself accusing God and saying are you really there do you even care what are like do you have any power at all do you even exist is all of this just a lie and in my frustration and accusations at the Lord I find myself echoing the Israelite children have you just brought me here to die it would have been better if we had never left but I'm learning I'm learning to recognize that attitude in myself I'm learning to notice in the hard times when I give up when I'm flailing around and fighting against everything I'm learning to recognize my own attitude and say I've been in this pattern before I know that when things are dark I just have to trust and believe and keep going when it says yea though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil for you are with me those words are words we cling to when we're walking in the dark valleys and it feels like he's not there it feels like he's leading us to our death it feels like he has not answered us we cling to those words and we say I believe that God is leading me into something good even if I'm walking through the valley of death that's that is faith that is real faith Jesus believed here's the thing I know that Jesus was fully God and fully man I know that he was I know that he had an intimate relationship with the Lord God that was amazing and far beyond what we experience I do know that but I also know this he was fully man you know there is a hymn that people sing sometimes it's called I stand amazed in the presence and I love this hymn it's a beautiful hymn it says I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned unclean it's a beautiful hymn but I've heard it um, quite a bit actually the last couple months I keep hearing it and one line from it sticks out to me it says in the second verse for me it was in the garden he prayed not my will but thine he had no tears for his own griefs but sweat drops of blood for mine you guys this line is not true it says that while he was in the garden he was in agony and he prayed to the Lord Lord please if it is possible let this cup be taken from me nevertheless not my will but yours be done Jesus was tempted with everything we are tempted with Jesus himself had emotions and agony 
he did not you know there's another there's another song when i was a teenager it was kind of a gospel song that said when i was when you were on the cross i was on your mind the thing is this yes the lord fully did this act out of love for us i completely agree with that i completely do but we neglect to really understand how weighty his own agony was how much he himself was very much aware of the the horror and the suffering he was about to take on and actually did he was not he was he was not immune he was not immune I know he had supernatural powers, but he did not supernaturally relieve himself of any suffering. He suffered. He was fully in suffering. I'm saying this because knowing that Jesus suffered tells me and knowing that he was tempted in every way tells me that just like when we are going through our sufferings and our griefs we he like us can was tempted to believe that it was not worth it that there was nothing on the other side that the Lord had forsaken him that he had understood incorrectly all of these things we are tempted to believe all of these lies he also was tempted to believe but what I see is Jesus with all of these temptations believing that God had a plan believing that God was good believing that it would work out for good in the end Believing that walking into suffering was somehow going to produce something beautiful. This is what Jesus believed and this is why Jesus could do this beautiful work. And this is what we have to believe. When we go into the valley of the shadow of death. We have to believe we have to believe that God is good, that he's not leading us out somewhere to kill us. And I don't even just mean allowing us to die, but I mean leading us out <laughs> to destroy us. We have to walk into whatever he calls us to and say what Job said, even though he kills me, yet I will trust him. We have to have this unshakable belief that says God is good and he will be good to me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. We have to have this unshakable faith that allows us to follow him like a sheep follows a shepherd into dark and scary places. Trusting always that our shepherd, our pillar of fire, is going ahead of us, 
leading us into good pastures, rolling green hills, into beautiful joy, where there is no more sickness and no more pain. This is the way that Jesus led. This is the way that he went. And we as his sheep have no choice but to follow. We walk into we walk into whatever the Lord leads us into, saying all the time, Lord be with me. Wherever you lead, I will follow. I'm not saying I do this perfectly. I struggle with it completely myself. I'm learning more and more this year how to deal with things I'm afraid of than I ever have before. And I'll be honest, I hate it. I absolutely hate coming up against a giant thing that I fear. I hate it. I hate being ruled by fear. I hate my life. I don't know if if you're like this, but I can tend to kind of arrange my life so that I don't have to come up against anything I'm afraid of. But the more you do that, the more you find that you are living a really sheltered and safe life to protect yourself from something, from anything you're afraid of. And then every so often then you do come against something you're afraid of and it's bigger than it's bigger than it would have been if you hadn't avoided it, you know? I don't know yet how to fight fear. I don't know fully how to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil. But I know this. Jesus knew how. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Jesus suffered and died on the cross. If you've ever had the chance to see the passion of the Christ, I, it is agonizing to watch. When I first heard they were making the movie The Passion of the Christ, honestly, I was a little disgusted and thought, how could anybody ever sit and watch a movie of the Lord dying? But I did, I did watch it then, around Easter one year, and Honestly, it was not it was not unlike reading like you have to watch it with reverence. Watch it almost with the same um the same honor that we give this passage of scripture. We watch it with not not with the desire to be entertained or amused but with the desire to really fully understand. I really do encourage you to watch it if you are meditating at all on this passage and you haven't seen it. There are some, just some cultural things that it helps to make more obvious. 
then those of us from other cultures can fully understand when we read the scriptures. But even if you haven't seen that, the truth is that the brutal death of one man seems pale in comparison to the brutal violence that has happened all through the different centuries. It can seem a little, well, like, what's the big deal? So one man died. Millions and millions of people have died over the years in violent ways. Why does this person matter? As John is telling the story of Jesus dying and testifying that Jesus was crucified by the Romans, do not forget the long testimony that has come before this chapter. Jesus was not just a man. Jesus was the Son of God. He came and lived a life that testified to the truth. He said, I am the bread sent from heaven. Whoever eats my flesh will live. If you today are hearing this message and deciding what to do with this, you still don't know what to do about the death of Jesus of Nazareth, about what this one person does for you, what this story means in your life, I encourage you like I have so many other times in other podcasts to turn this off, sit in the quiet of your wherever you can be that's quiet. And ask the Lord yourself. God. It says that. It says that God sits on a throne in heaven. And earth is his footstool. But there's another place in the Bible that says. Am I a God far off. And not also a God nearby. He is invisible. But he is. Omnipresent. Which means. Wherever you are, he is there. As long as there is breath in your lungs that he is giving you, he will hear you call him. I truly believe that when we call the Lord and earnestly want to know the truth about who he is, who Jesus was, and what we're supposed to do with it, that the Lord himself will answer us. But I think it takes it takes actually asking and then waiting. Waiting on him and saying, "God, who are you? How do I know you?" But I believe I know him. To be good. You know, John says, I'm telling you my testimony so that you'll believe. 
John is laying out this story of who Jesus is because John himself has come to believe that Jesus was the Son of God, crucified for our sins, worthy of our praise. And John's telling this story to us so that we will believe. And do you know, that's why I'm doing this podcast. I, myself, have come to believe that Jesus really is the Son of God, the Lamb of God, slain before the foundation of the world, the hope of all mankind. And I'm giving you my testimony to say this. God has shown himself to me to be real, to be worthy of trust, to be completely faithful, to be the provider of every answer to every question of my heart I've ever had. He has proven to be faithful to me. He has proven to be the lover of my soul. He really is to me my comforter and my keeper. And I'm telling you this because if you are wondering, I'm not trying to convert you because I feel like, man, it'll really, you know, chalk up one more for our team if you become a Christian. But I'm telling you because I myself have found such love and such wonderful hope and peace and a future and such exciting, passionate purpose in my life through knowing the Lord God, through the adventure of exploring what is supernatural, what is the almighty God, I have found such, such joy that it is the passion of my heart to tell everybody who might possibly maybe listen to this podcast, the Lord God can be all of that for you. He is real. He is passionately excited about you. He made you just like he made me. And you will find every, like, every, every sorrow in your heart is answered in the Lord. Every wound you've received from man or woman or parent or grandparent is healed in the Lord. Every Every sadness and every fear that you have, the Lord has answers for. The Lord has life for you like he does for me. That's why I spread this message. And I don't want anything more for you than that you yourself would find that too. That you would go to the Lord and ask him to show you how good he is because that's what he loves to do. He loves to prove himself strong and good and worthy of your trust. This is the message of the gospel. That knowing God is the answer to our heart's cries. I bless you as you go today and I I ask the Lord that he would show himself to you. That you would go away today and know him better than you ever had before. I bless you and Lord God, I thank you so much that you are such a good God to let me tell anybody about you. I thank you, Lord. Amen.